Welcome to a B-side, a bonus episode that's uh, in the sidecar for our big album uh, this week, Let's Dance. What are you listening to right now? You're listening to Pod Like a Hole, and this is season two, uh, with the uh, with the nickname a Space Podity. The Diamond Dice, they roll, and they give us a David Bowie album at random to review. Like I said, this big album is Let's Dance, and this is the bonus episode to go with it. There was a lot of extra stuff. There was movies. There was remixes, there was uh, guest appearances on other albums, an entire EP, um, and tour documentaries uh, that came out. And so we're going to get into it. Um, we're going to dig as deep as we can and still keep it interesting, which is not that deep. I've heard that before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, Mark, it, or uh, Eric, it's funny you say that, because that's a very married with children joke. And uh, I've been remarking lately that... Whatever we did in the last two episodes, they sounded pretty good, so we should uh, assume Fox viewing positions for the next recording, which is uh, what they would do on that show when they watched Fox, and it always <clears throat> made me laugh. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, that voice right there is Stephen Chambers. Great to have you, Steve. Do you guys remember the episodes with the Fox viewing positions? No. This is a reference that I'm uh, really just scrambling through my brain, and i not... 404, not found. Yeah, go uh, yeah. Google Fox viewing positions, married with children. All right. Fantastic. Thanks, Steve. I'm Eric Anderson. Um, just a humble co-host on this endeavor, but our, our O-Captain, our captain, is Mark Branstad. Hi, Mark. Hello. And yes, uh, if I feel like my ship is being hijacked because uh, I probably wouldn't have gone through off the rails like we always do uh, in terms of our episode, because I, I really do feel like this is homework, the episode, which I'm sure it is going to be a ratings bonanza. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> Eric, tell them what we're talking about. All right. All right. Well, let's start. Let's start um, uh, right out the hold gate. On, gonna, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Old uh, sour man over there. Mark, sometimes we just want to get together and talk. Isn't that OK with you? We look for excuses to communicate. And right now, you better get used to it. Because this way we're talking, it's how you're going to have to do everything soon, the way things are going. All right? So this is, this is prep for your coronavirus world. You're going to live in. <laughs> Just, uh, uh, we won't have the internet to be speaking into. We'll be essentially using ham radios and uh, hand tape recorders to then send them out into everyone's mailboxes. Uh, because, um, uh, welcome to Bird Box, phase one. <laughs> <laughs> it's made it's made landfall in Placer County. Uh, someone died, and uh, Elk Grove decided to shut all their schools down next week. So there you are. That's right. My superintendent sent a letter out saying that was Elk Grove's decision, not based on the Department of Health. We're not going to do it. So come to work, come to school. HR um, HR sent a company wide email telling us, you know, do this, don't do that, and uh, it's not going to kill you. And then a certain person who's very powerful 
emailed the whole company and just said, yeah, use more hand sanitizer. I noticed we get sick a lot. I was like, all right. <clears throat> hand sanitizer doesn't make a difference, but that's fine. <laughs> mm. Mm. Well, let's let's travel back to the beginning of this run and talk about a guest appearance that Bowie did on something before this album. In fact, we probably should have talked about this around Scary Monsters, uh, but it's, especially after talking about The Idiot, it's worth a little mention. Uh, Iggy Pop put out an album called The Soldier um, a, a little bit, a year or two before Let's Dance came out. And The Soldier, I guess, you know, upon returning to uh, America after the Berlin era, Bowie was, you know, revitalized while Iggy was in the skids. Um, none of the, though he, they made great albums, um, none of them really made him into a uh, a superstar enough to get on the right path. So he had hit the skids quite a bit. He was looking for a, uh, another chance to make a hit. Um, but he was kind of in a creative slump and he brought in like a punk super group. There was members of like the sex pistols and, um, you know, some other people. And he had his uh, fellow stooge. He had James Williamson, producing this thing. Apparently James Williamson, this whole recording was a mess. Everybody was drunk. There were drugs. People were lazy, never wanting to get started and working on a song. James Williamson apparently was pacing through the, they had this cabin that they had rented out in, uh, in the UK. And James Williamson was pacing around with a gun and a bottle of vodka all the time, just shouting at people as they was trying to produce this album and spending way too much time, like synchronizing the four track tapes instead of actually making music. And they released Soldier. Um, and one particular song on there was a song called Play It Safe. Today I saw very, very thing, but that's another song. You're too simple-minded. Let's play it safe. came in throughout the day, uh, threw his vocals down. Um, the verses are Iggy Pop shouting, um, shouting some lines uh, about just various things. It's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what it's about. It's, and uh, Bowie come, swings in for this really catchy chorus. The music sounds pretty good. It's chunky. It's loud. Um, and uh, that's it. It's just, uh, that's the song. Uh, but apparently Bowie rubbed some people the wrong way. Half the, uh, one, somebody in his band didn't like Bowie because Bowie hit on his girlfriend years before. And um, it was a few hours. They hung out in the studio and they, Bowie and his, uh, whoever he was traveling with decided to leave immediately. They hit the road and that was, that was it for this song. But it's out there and it's kind of a highlight of that album. That album's not great. You guys, you guys have any experience with Soldier? Or play it safe? No, I don't. Ah. Steve, how about you? I regret to inform everyone that I am not familiar. Ah, so I have the last word on it. 
Well, in that case, it is okay, but the rest of the album stinks. Next. <laughs> keep going. Uh, Let's keep like moving. I just, I just right, pictured and- Eric like throwing the piece of paper behind him when he said that. Like it was like weekend update. Let's go. Yeah, so actually, right. I'm picturing more of a, a Morton Downey Jr. kind of guy going on right now. Exactly. A, a lot of cigarette smoke in the air. Keep it moving. <laughs> a loose necktie, sweaty. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. So at some at some point around like 1981, um, Bowie, you know, Scary Monsters had been out. Bowie was kind of not putting out a lot of music. Um, and he decided to drop. Uh, or decided to get involved with the BBC uh, broadcast of the ball, um, the ball play. It's apparently some very famous play that I guess if you probably lived in Germany, uh, which I assume is where it's where it's from, you might know a lot about it. Bertoy Brex is the writer, um, and Ball is the uh, is the EP. Congregate and shame together. Barley naked, reveling in their distress. Only sky, a sky that will go on forever. Formed a blanket for his nakedness. And the dusty girl, the world to laugh and yield to the this man who stand the pressure. Of love. Um, uh, he was. Uh, uh, this is the last. I'm sorry. This is the last. A bit of music that Bowie and Tony Visconti would do for a long time. They did the whole album together playing the instruments. Visconti recorded it the same way he recorded Heroes. It's it's uh, four songs, clocks in in under 10 minutes. Um, and it very much is a... <laughs> a German... A Ger- it's not. I, I thought it was a, an opera at first. I don't know if it's an opera. I think it's just a... I think it's just a, a a play, but in, in the sense that it's an opera, when you hear the music, there is no melody to the songs. Not really. Um, there's some, mostly it's just guitar, uh, drums and oboe going on in the background, um, bass, and then Bowie singing uh, over it, um, just kind of singing to the rafters without a lot of melody or rhythm to it. I assume if you saw it paired up with whatever visual, the play is about like a Lothario, um, a guy that kind of essentially a, a thin white Duke, a guy that kind of bounces from town to town. He's essentially a, a soul vacuum. He just corrupts people that he's around and bounces onto the next town. And that's what the play's about. Um, and you can kind of see why Bowie would be interested in doing it. He's wrote, written about that guy a lot, and he would continue to write about that guy all the way up until black star. Creatures and plant life kept on thus obstructing a last trip. Same evening grew dark as smoke, and its stars through the night kept the brightness still soaring. But it quickly grew clear when dawn now broke to see that she got one further. Once her palette drunk had rotted beyond repair. Song itself, though? Uh, the, the music itself? Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Mark? I mean, okay. This is just, 
isn't my jam, I would have to say. Uh, it, it certainly sounds uh, very theatrical. I don't know where you guys sort of stand on musical theater or anything like that uh, in terms of Broadway, but this, it seems so boring. It, it does go by fast, I'll give it that, but there's nothing here for me to like. It's for theater camp nerds that listen to the Les Miserables soundtrack on repeat. And even then, I don't know if they would even like it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not to say that Bowie doesn't give a great performance. I mean, he's he's certainly, you know, not phoning it in. No. Um, but it's actually some of the, the most impressive vocal work sure. that, I, that I've heard from Bowie, but it's probably it's so isolated when he's singing it. He's just hitting notes he doesn't usually hit. Um, that being yeah. said, it doesn't change the fact that there's no melody. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, I, I come for Bowie for more than just his vocal performances. Um, it kind of reminds me of, and I think it is another Berthold Brecht uh, song, but the Alabama song that we talked about in yes. the Scary Monsters oh, yeah. episode. Yes. There's a lot of that going on, just like campy cabaret, just exhausting to watch. Leave, if leave, I that, was song, leave that song to Jimmy. That's what I exactly. said. Exactly. Old Mo- Mr. Mojo Ryzen. <laughs> season three folks yeah uh the one great thing about this is the album cover you see a bearded bowie for the first time and the last time until tin machine holding a guitar he, he didn't grow he didn't grow a lot of beards did he he did not he did not the only Holy person shit. That's gr- the only person that's grown less beards is eric anderson eric is not a beard guy it's true it's true. I did not realize that was David Bowie on the cover of this. <laughs> he looks pretty disheveled. I <laughs> I mean, he looks like he fell out of a train car. No, it looks like he's like in Velvet Revolver. <laughs> Season three, folks. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, so the part of me. I I am intrigued by this for a few reasons. I do like the fact that he was still pushing back. Like he's like, Oh, that last album was a little too artsy for you. You know? Um, well, uh, wait till you get the fucking load of ball, the ball EP motherfuckers. (laughs) And it was his, and I think it was his last album on whatever label he was on. Um, before he, he switched to, uh, his let's dance label EMI. That was RCA that, I'm that was this was released on. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, there are there's a song Balls Him. There is uh, Remembering Mary A, um, which is a. Uh, it's it's one of the like prettier. Uh, not that song. I'm sorry. Uh, Ballad of Adventurers. Yeah, these are the songs. But Drowning Girl, I think, has a little bit of atmosphere to it. If I had to pick the top top song on here, it would be that one. Um, it's got a really nice, um, like the, um, the horn work in it makes me think of those Tom Waits German plays that are significantly better. Like, uh, Alice, um, and the Black Money. Rider in the Black Rider. One and Black Rider. Yes. Yes. As well. Yeah. So those, the, those soundtracks are infinitely better, but it's got that kind of moody guitar work with that oboe going on in the background. It's got that, it's got, got that going for it. Still, those soundtracks have infinite more melody and, and, and hooks to them. Than what's happening here but funny enough about tom waits the last song is called the dirty song it's 38 seconds long and it's a horny little track that reminds me of that uh pasties in a g-string by tom waits where he's just kind of 
you know, talking about what he wants to do to an ass, um, an ample ass. If a woman's hips are ample, then I want her in the hay, skirt and stocking all a ramble, cheerfully, for that's my way. If the woman bites in pleasure, then I wipe it clean with hay, my mouth will lap together, thoroughly, for that's that. Is that the song that goes the abba zabba dooba zabba dabba dabba day? The Tom Waits one, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it, you got it. So I guess in in a way, it's if there was ever a Venn diagram where Tom Waits and Bowie overlapped, because they're two completely different genres as far as I'm concerned. It's probably this this little EP, which I find it interesting. That being said, I'll probably never put it on again. I concur. I, I mean, that's something that was. Uh... 10 minutes of my life as I was watching my daughter do gymnastics this morning that I will never get back. <laughs> isn't, isn't there a, uh, the Venn diagram really is where Scarlett Johansson did that Tom Waits album and David Bowie, uh, isn't he, uh, does a couple some vocalizations on it. Oh, I think you're right. And then, uh, and then TV on the radio who, Bo- per- who Bowie collaborated yeah. with did all the music. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. You, you got, you got me beat and I will listen That's to it. that one again. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the only other place with a crossover. Uh, I'm sure you know what they're probably in a movie together now. That I think about it. Let's just move on before we 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 fail even more. <laughs> All right. So, um, uh, for the sake of this, I'm going to assume it came out slightly before the album, but I could be wrong. Um, in major motion picture theaters across the nation, we were given a film that was made ten years earlier and had been sitting in an editing booth getting getting cut together, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, directed by P.A. Pennybaker. D.A. Take it away. D.A. Pennybaker. Like district attorney. This time, David Bowie! Gotcha. Well, Your Honor, take it away. Yes, this is, as I've mentioned before, my big introduction to David Bowie, but where my I really sunk my teeth into him was uh, the soundtrack to to this movie that my mother got me when I was in high school. Um, but the movie itself, yeah, it came out in the early 80s. That D.A. Pennebaker fellow directed it. Uh, it was recorded in the early 70s on the, I guess that would have been the uh, the the... Aladdin Sane tour. Uh, and uh, D.A. Pennebaker, he was, he didn't even really know who David Bowie was. Uh, he was well-known. He did a Monterey Pop documentary and uh, Don't Look Back, Bob Dylan. And he was asked to do this. And when he signed up, he actually thought he was going to go film Mark Bolin. But uh, it wasn't Mark Bolin. It was David Bowie at the Hammersmith Odeon, which is a concert hall I've always liked the name of. Hammersmith. It just sounds powerful. Uh, sure. Another al- another album recorded there that is very good is Bruce Springsteen at Hammersmith Odeon. But uh, yeah, this was a main man that uh, put this together. If you uh, look into the the credits, Tony DeFreeze actually helped produce it, but it didn't come out for ten years, and a lot of that was because the sound mix was terrible, and they did all they could, and by the time they released it in the early eighties. The sound mix still was pretty bad. 
<laughs> uh, if, you, if you're going to watch this thing, if you watch it now, it's the, the best version you're going to get. But the version you watch and the version you hear, if you listen to the soundtrack, are completely different. Uh, the movie doesn't sound that good still, but the soundtrack, uh, Tony Visconti got his hands on it a couple years ago and made the soundtrack very listenable, if you ask me. But back in high school, I didn't give a shit. I couldn't tell the difference. I just thought this this package of songs that ran the uh, gamut uh, was uh, pretty cool to me. Um, as far as this goes, what did uh, so I, I bought it and my mom got it for me, the soundtrack in high school. I bought the... Uh, I think about a VHS copy of the movie soon after and then a DVD a while later. Uh, so my experience was it was high school and uh, even uh, Mark and I's English teacher, Mrs. Summers actually went to this tour and talked to me about it. And we discussed the, uh, the way space oddity had that him sitting in that chair over the audience thing. And she said, she saw that live. Mark, did you, uh, when did you first uh, check this movie or, or soundtrack out? When you showed it to me, um, I think around that time you got it in high school for a Christmas present, if memory serves. And um, I was probably in uh, that same English or yearbook class with Mrs. Summers when she either told you that and then you relayed that to me. But uh, I do recall all of, all of that. And then, um, so was it a couple of years later then it got a reissue where it came in kind of a shiny uh it was a slipcase. Uh, it was a clear slipcase, and then it also had like a DVD that came out with it as well. I want to uh, say I was working I, yeah, at the, the record store when that happened. What I have is 2005 was the 30th anniversary, and that's the one that's I the have one. the DVD of that. Yeah, yeah, that's the one that I have. Um, so I remember when we were in high school, me and Steve would listen to that one as we were driving around to God knows where. Um, and then I didn't own it until the reissue came out because it may have been put out of print because I think Steve had the Ryko disc version of it. I did. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So then you couldn't find it anywhere and no one really sold that one back used. So then I was able to get that and plus the DVD and, uh, that's where everything really came to light for me. It's a really interesting movie. It's kind of a concert film behind the scenes documentary as well. Um, but it's, it's very entertaining to watch Bowie. Um, Mm pretty much almost at the height of his powers. I mean, the beginning at the height of his powers, I'd say. Um, and then the, uh, the music, I mean, clearly there are some just standout tracks on that album that uh, to this day almost are better than the studio versions. And I'm sure we'll talk about a few of those, but it's a great film, great little uh, soundtrack. And uh, I listened to it uh, two nights ago, I think. And um, it was enjoyable from start to finish. It's probably my favorite of his live records, I would say. Which there are a lot of those. And yeah, uh, yeah I think it's just, such, I think that remaster one by, by Sganti, we'll talk about the songs after Eric gives us opinion on the, the whole thing overall. But I, I just think they sound great. And yeah, man, if that, if you want a uh, greatest hits package from David Bowie, you can pretty much go with that. And if you want a greatest hits package from David Bowie, you can probably go with another live album we listen to. We'll talk about later. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's fun. The movie has some clips of like Angie Bowie and uh, the band backstage. And I wish there was more of that. Um, when I grew up, my dad made me watch the song remains the same Led Zeppelin movie so many times. And as a kid, I thought I hated it, but I actually, I love it. It was a, 
just the fact that my dad made me watch it that made me not like it. And I wish there was some, the song remains the same has just enough backstage stuff. I wish this had just, I wish they would have turned the backstage stuff up a little bit more for this, but uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, this is, I didn't have the history you guys have with this. Uh, we got this for my son uh, for a birthday present uh, last year. And I watched it last year and, um, you know, was really into it. And we can talk about the highlight songs. But uh, overall, I mean, I I have this 30th anniversary edition and I think it sounded pretty good as far as that goes. And, and I know that this was the version where they used uh, Tony Visconti's um, audio for it. Um, this time when I listened to it, I actually turned on the commentary track and it was with the director DA Penny Baker and, uh, Tony Visconti just talking about it. And that was kind of fun. It's just kind of fun to hear Tony talking about, uh, you know, Bowie during this time. And, um, there was a couple interesting anecdotes. Um, I guess what they did is they first played a show in Glasgow and, uh, the audience was so good. They said, okay, you guys are going to be our audience in the, at the Hammersmith, you know, and they basically tried to bring them over for that. And they had some like scratch takes from the Gla the Glasgow show that they liked. And Tony was going to edit like crowd noise in at certain times. And then at the Hammersmith show, he noticed that they were saying the same thing during the crowd, like the crowd people, he was hearing some of the same voices and some of the same phrases that they were shouting in Glasgow. And it was, it was just kind of funny. Um, how like painstaking Visconti was going into using like uh, different, different sources of audio to like just spread out that audience sound. Um, and then of course they talked about the, uh, the farewell speech, which is an incredible historical moment, right guys? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'll yes. agree with you. Of course. No, it's very, we've talked about that before where, you know, they, they say like, Throughout it, the PA announcer says, like, ah, oh, he's back home. This is the last tour, the, the date of the tour, you know. And everybody knows it's the last date of the tour. And at the end, before they do five years, David Bowie says, uh, yes, this is, I want to thank the band, the road crew, and the light guy. By the way, this is the last day of the tour and the last uh, show we'll ever do. And you hear the audience go like, oh, um, that's yeah. great. It's great. It's very, uh, yeah. Rock and roll, suicide was, sorry, was the closing track. Yeah. Rock right? and roll. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was rock no, and roll suicide. Right. And, uh, it's to be assumed the band, like this is the first they heard of it. It seems like mm -hmm. something that that asshole Dave Bowie would have done at the time. <laughs> Tony Visconti talked about this in the commentary and he said, actually Bowie had a little heart to heart with Mick Ronson before the show. Like I'm going to do this. So he was the only mm -hmm. one that knew. And then when he laid it, the rest of the band had no idea. And so like Tony was like, when you listen to the isolated music before we kind of revamped it all, like they're not playing as well as they do on the rest of the, like, like that you can see the winds out of their sails. Oh, wow. And then, and then afterwards, Bowie went backstage and they were like, what the fuck, man? And Mick actually pretended like he didn't know. And he's like, yeah, man, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and like gave, like gave Bowie a look like, come on, the, don't make me look like the asshole in front of the band. <laughs> At least don't take that away. Well, so Bowie, I got Bowie it. was nice enough to just like not let them know that Mick was in on it. But I, I'm glad that he told Mick because if you watch the movie and listen to the album, uh, you're there just as much for him as you are for David Bowie. If you ask me, there's a, oh yeah, and it's not just Moon Age Daydream. It's all over the thing. He's uh, the star. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I'll I'll read through the songs quickly here. Um, so. The band on this album, or on the, the live one, it was David Bowie, Mick Ronson, Trevor Boulder, and uh, Woody Woodmansey. 
Um, that's uh, your 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 crew there that was on Ziggy and uh, uh, Aladdin Sane, and that uh, I think uh, that live album. Uh, they had a different bass player, and I'm not. I'm sorry, that covers album. Um, different bass player on the covers album. I think can't remember, but not important. And you you had Kevin Fordham, Brian Wishaw, Jeffrey McCormick, John Hutchinson as additional musicians. And our friend Mike Garson, who's all over this thing on the piano. Mm, uh, yeah, I think my this is actually, I think this actually has my favorite Mike Garson uh, piano work. I think that his uh, dancing around the songs on this, it's never too obtrusive, and it actually uh, it fills in pretty well. Um, so it starts out pretty quickly, or, or with a, a fast number with the uh, hang on to yourself. And I think it's a, that's the perfect song to, uh, to open up a tour from this era. It gets everybody right into it. And then, uh, I like what they do next is they do Ziggy Stardust, which for this time after cracked actor, I'm sorry, after, uh, Aladdin saying, I think it's good to get Ziggy Stardust out of the way. Cause that, that probably at this point for them, that was probably like playing, a, you know, uh, you know, do Haas for Romstein or, uh, Guns N' Roses having to play Paradise City. Like, it's always like a song that you just had lorded over you. So, I, I like that they get it out of there. I actually think it sounds better than the record myself. Um, next track on it is Watch That Man. It's a pretty good performance of it. And up to this point, this is all pretty good. But uh, where this, this album really, for me, is special begins with the version of Wild Eyed Boy from Free Cloud on here. Oh, yeah. That's one of my, that was in my tops. That, or actually the, the, the uh, little medley that happens. That medley is great, but I think the Wild Eye Boy from Free Cloud, you've got the piano work by Garson's really good on it. It's not overpowering. He's filling in what he needs to do, where he needs to do it. Um, but then that medley of Wild Eye Boy from Free Cloud into 
all the young dudes into Oh, You Pretty Things is just masterful. Uh, the way he's hitting those notes at the Wild Eyed Boy from Free Cloud, and then that goes into the saxophone on All the Young Dudes, and then it calms down, and it has that, you know, you know we've discussed how Oh, You Pretty Things makes you feel like you're bouncing down the, uh, the, the, the stairs to get a cup of coffee. Um, yeah. It fits together perfectly. I love it. Mark, you like that medley. I know you do. That medley is something else. I mean, that is absolutely a highlight on the record. Um, if anything, that may have been my introduction to the uh, song. Um, uh, oh, you pretty things. And you telling hmm. me uh, also that all the young dudes was a the hoople. So as Steven was not just my best friend and my roommate, former roommate, uh, he was also my teacher when it came to David Bowie and kind of giving me the uh, crash course. I remember riding in the car and you saying, oh, yeah, this song, this song is uh, he never actually did this one uh, by a band called Mata Hoople. And um, so, yeah, this uh, that medley is special. No doubt. It sounds good and the memories are good. So that's fun. Uh, speaking of memories, it goes right in to Moon Age Daydream. And this this version of Moon Age Daydream I've spoken of uh, on here before. Uh, everybody across the world that's ever watched or listened to this thing knows how good the guitar solo is. Uh, one thing that comes from it is I do believe that in the movie, isn't this the section where uh, Bowie gets on his knees and acts as like uh, when Mick is really getting into it, he kind of is doing some head action near his uh, pelvis. You know, I, I haven't watched the uh, concert film in a while, but I, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, I, I'm pretty sure you're correct on this. I just did watch it again, and I don't remember if I was looking for it. I might have been distracted. But uh, from from this tour, at least, if not this movie, there's that famous image that you might have seen before. of a, And I think it's even referenced in Velvet Goldmine of uh, Mick really is going at it. And, and, and David acts like he's uh, saying hello to his John Thomas. But uh no, that, He's yelling fellatio. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that version of Moon Age Daydream, I mean, it's not just it's not just that guitar solo at the end. And they did the guitar solo uh, for one because it's on the album. It's good. But Mick, Mick takes it up another level on this record. It also gave Bowie a time to do a, a costume change. But uh, even though the guitar solo goes into the stratosphere, and it's so good that every time I listen to it, I feel like I'm levitating in the room I'm hearing it in. Uh, Mick, he takes it to another level, and then he like he, he sends it into the stratosphere and uses a bunch of crazy delays, and then grabs it back in and locks in. You're just your your mind's being blown by this outro guitar solo. But then if you if you take a second and you're listening to what uh, Trevor and Woody are doing in the rhythm section, they're doing some shit too. Uh, the bass line is doing a couple of little fills that aren't too showy. And just, uh, the, this probably is my favorite uh, Woody Woodmancy uh, drumming. He's just, he's really just laying into the skins. And it's all, like there's a crescendo. And, and you, you just don't know how much more you can take of it. And then Bowie comes back after about three minutes of guitar solos. And he has that outro vocalization of uh, the, ah, ah. It's just too much. It's too much. Even talking about it, I got to go have a cigarette. Um, one of my absolute favorite live performances of all time. 
I'm sure you guys agree. Oh, that's fantastic. I was going to say it uh, definitely has more crunch to it than the uh, the studio version. So this is probably the definitive version of it in my mind. Nice. I think so. Nice. Uh, the, ver- yeah, the, ne- uh, the version of Changes is pretty good. The version of Space Oddity is pretty fun. On this version of Space Oddity, I do like that they use some guitar laser sounds to kind of make you feel like you're in space. Um. One song that really stands out on this record for me is My Death, which uh, I don't think we've talked about the studio version yet, have we? No. Have we? We okay. have not. Yeah. Um, uh, My Death actually, it, it has a, uh, it, it's, it's fun because in the beginning of it, he tells the audience to be quiet. And then he says, thank you. Um, there is a lot of audience, like, you know, they're, they're really trying to be part of the show in this thing. And at, at that time, he has to, like, tell them to knock it off. And, um, the, uh, the 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 end where he, he has that angel or devil, what lies beyond the door? And he lets it go. He pauses, and everyone screams, "Me, me!" It's a it's a fun thing you can only get in a live album. So it's, it's a good version of that track. Uh, Cracked actor is a lot of fun. That's next. Time, which kind of has some of the same themes of my death is done very well. I love the the backup vocals on that one. There's kind of a barbershop quartet thing going on. Um, have we talked about time? Nope. Okay. Yeah, that's a fun song. I, we'll have, Eric will have fun with the lyrics on that one when we really get into it. Um, I, I it, It's really, really good version of this. He seems to pick a few songs, and I'll bring this up uh, soon, on this live album that kind of have to do with finality and ending things, and that makes sense once you know where he's going with it at the end of it. Um, the width of a circle is next. It's a huge 15 minute version of it. And I believe that's when we're going to talk about on our next, uh, track by track, which is, uh, main soul of the world. Am I correct? Right. I think yes. I'm correct. Yeah, you are correct. It's, it's that song's groovy. This version of it is my preferred version. I love it. When a song takes 15 minutes, that's, I'm a weirdo. Um, the, the drum beat during the extended, uh, jam riff is just wonderful. Um, they do something cool next, which is almost like another medley and let's spend the night together, which is the stones suffragette city, uh, which is the Bowie's and white light, white heat, which is the, uh, velvet underground. Ah, uh, yes. Can I, can I interject? White light, can. White I'm just, I, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. But yeah. I just want to say these these three songs go great together. Awesome sequencing. Mm-hmm. They all have 
a really good tempo. Um, I think it's a great way to speed things up and have a little rock out before they do the end. But what were you going to say about White Light, White Heat? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, Suffragette City, I've always thought that was like a sister song to White Light, White Heat. Um, definitely informed by it. So hearing them together was a dream. And White Light, White Heat's kind of elusive. You know he played it. You know he recorded it and scrapped it a bunch of times. Um, and uh, I always like enjoy the Bowie versions of it. And there's actually another version of it on the other live album that came out this year that we'll talk about. But um, yeah, the, what's interesting about it, the beginning of White Light, White Heat he actually says, like, this song was written by someone I hope is still a friend of mine, Lou Reed. Yeah, I think, yeah he says he, he's, he's all, I think he's a friend of mine. That's exactly right. what he said. I think yeah. he's a friend of mine. And in the commentary, um, uh, Tony says, yeah, because the weekend before that, they were in a bar fight. And there's actually, yeah. like, you can find paparazzi pictures of, like, them being pulled apart in a bar. <laughs> like, fighting over who knows what. So You know, both those men were a lot of things, but I think if I got in a fight with either of them, I could take them. So that would have been quite the fight to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. A fight. <laughs> I do. Tony, Tony does say that though, that, uh, that Lou Reed's uh, transformer is one of the favorite, his favorite projects he's worked on. So yeah, Tony, Tony could kick the shit out of both of them. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I saw a scrapper from Brooklyn, you know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so anyways, go Mark, on. Did- Mark, do you got any opinions on that? Those the, the how those last three songs roll together? Uh, no. Um, and uh, I picked up everything that you guys were laying down. Just how they all just are symmetrically uh, placed. Um, and then he does his his little farewell speech after that. But other than that, no. Keep keep it rocking, Steve. Keep going. Yeah. So then there's that there's that farewell speech, which you know it's great. He says we already discussed it. It's the last thing they're going to do. Last show they're going to do. And they go into Rock and Roll Suicide, which is another song with definitely some finality to it. I think they play up the uh, the 50s doo-wop-ness of Rock and Roll Suicide a bit more on this live album. Uh, I prefer this version of it, too. I prefer almost every song on this album I prefer this version of. Uh, I am a weirdo that actually... I like live albums. I know a lot of people do not like them. If a live album does not have terrible production... I'll usually take a live album over a studio album unless it's a band, unless it's a, well, unless it's a band like, you know, where the studio production plays a lot into what you like about it. Uh, for example, nine inch nails or skinny puppy or, um, uh, any hip hop artist. I am not going to take a live album over (laughs) over the other one. I would say, I would say Bowie has his albums where studio, the studio work is, super important, but maybe this selection of tracks are like the straight up rockers. And that's why this works. That's why this live album works for you. I don't, yeah, I don't think, I, I think that starts to happen, uh, with station to station. I think this era of Bowie, uh, it's uh, you know, there's not so much going on. You can't do most of it live, if not better live, in my opinion. Um, Fair even enough. something like space oddity, the way they, they do the studio trickery trickery for space oddity is they, they replicate it with their instruments in a way I find more interesting. Um, Anyhow, I've always loved this record. It's one of my favorite live albums, and it was definitely my real introduction to at least the first half of Bowie's career and what he could do. And uh, five out of five bolts. That's what I give it. That's oh, right. Wow. You heard me. Wow. Five out of five. All right. I'm not asking you two to rank it, but uh, yeah. nostalgia is a hell of a drug. So that's why it gets that extra boost there. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, I wouldn't. That, before, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, that's fine. I was just gonna say, I, I, I like. You know, I, I liked it the, as a film itself. It, it's the cinematography is not great. It has some moments that pop, but that's just because the band was so goddamn good. It was impossible not to pop. There's some great shots of the audience, like just getting into it. It's really cool to see what Bowie fans look like back then, back in the height of its powers. Um, and then the final sound mix is, is fantastic. Um, uh, but like as a concert film, just trying to judge it cold, coldly as a concert film. Um, you're right. Like, so maybe some more backstage stuff or some more, I don't know. There could have been a little bit, something more to make it feel like a, like a document, but, um, pretty much, uh, those highlights still deserve, it makes it deserve to be in the Pantheon. That's, that's all I got to say. And Mark, uh, you already kind of said what you wanted to say, but you're you're a fan, big fan. Um, I not really ranking the live albums, so I didn't really give it the same day in court that I am with his studio albums. But like I said before, this is my favorite live album of his, so I guess that holds all oh, a lot yeah, of water got, around these parts. He's got a lot to pick from. Yeah, uh, and actually, live- on online, a lot of people say that his Glastonbury 2000 album is his best live album of all time. I have not listened to it yet. We have it. I have not given it a spin yet, but that is the overall online consensus. Weirdly enough. Interesting. So we'll get to that. Um, a lot of people, I think like that one, just because he brought out a lot of songs they hadn't played in a while. Um, also from this same era, we've talked about it in passing, but not released at the same time. There is a famous bootleg that actually got a professional release later. That was the 72, Santa Monica recording, which was oh, the yeah. same tour. Yes. Um, All right. We did. We did talk about it. We, we, we did. Uh, we did. Yeah. We, we rolled over that when we talked about Ziggy. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of live albums or live performances, a while ago, a listener, Christopher Mathis, messaged us and said, hey, you know what a fun exercise would be is what would your set list be for David Bowie if he had a farewell tour? And we said, that's a great idea. And then uh, we meant to get back to it. We never did. But tonight we're talking about two live records. So we'll talk about that too. I compiled all three of our lists into our set list. But before I read ours, I want to read Christopher's, which I purposefully did not read before we made ours. And there's a couple of interesting things here. They're going to overlap. So he says, if Bowie was torn for the last time and we knew it, which would have been around Black Star, uh, he's thinking it goes, Black Star, Ashes to Ashes, Dirty Boys, Sue, or in a season of crime, Slip Away, Look Back in Anger, Sweet Thing, Always Crashing in the Same Car, Teenage Wildlife, Where Are We Now, Lazarus, Breaking Glass, Secret Life of Arabia, Strangers When We Meet, Loving the Alien, that's a weird one there, Subterraneans, Five Years, I Can't Give Everything Away, Station to Station, in quicksand. Oh, huh. I think it's a pretty, pretty good set that's list. A, I, that's a pretty good set list, but I don't know how I ending on quicksand. That's an interesting one. Yeah. It, it, it made is, my list. It made my list. Yes. Sure no, I'll read, I'll read our compiled list in a second. I do think it's interesting. He kind of was going for what, when I compiled our list together is similar, which is a, uh, overall over, if you will, overall at the same time, much like on Ziggy Stardust, the motion picture, songs like My Death, Time, Rock and Roll Suicide, 
the guys always loved a song that talks about things ending or fucking the finality of things. Yeah. And I think, you know, he has a lot of those to pick from. Well, when you, uh, you got, everything's got to end for you to move on to the next thing. So, yeah. So ours, this is our compiled one. Yeah. And, so, and, and I, I, went, I, I really thought about specifically his band for black star and what songs would sound great with that kind of like avant-garde jazz, but go. All right. Yes. I did not to an extent. Um, Cause I think when you know you're doing, if he knew he was doing his final tours, he's still going to bring out some hits that people want to hear. I think for sure. Uh, anyhow, I think uh, you open with fantastic voyage. Then you go into five years, look back in anger, soul love, golden years, modern love. Let's dance. So you got a little one, two of some, uh, Hey everybody. Remember the good times tracks right there. Uh, a little bit of a chambers bias here, teenage wildlife. And then this is where things take a turn. 515, the angels have gone. Mm-hmm. I think in the middle of the show, one of those more recent maudlin tracks would fit perfectly. Oh yeah. Um, then into time, which I, uh, like I just went on uh, how much I think that song is great about what he's talking about here. And then the, uh, you know, let's not forget that he just released a pretty good album and let's uh, throw the stars are out tonight in there for a rocker. Um, into Always Crashing in the Same Car, going into Black Star, which somehow I think that would work perfectly, going Always Crashing in the Same Car, then Black Star, then Ashes to Ashes. I think it would be an amazing mix of music myself. Um, Sound and Vision. And then uh, I'm surprised he picked this and so did I. Strangers When We Meet. I think it's a good song. It should be, uh, if you're, you should let, you should remind everybody of that track. And, uh, the width of a circle again, back into the fatality songs, my death, my death going into Lazarus. What do you think of that? That's good. Mm. There you go. And wild is the wind. <clears throat> and, and then quicksand, which we all like, I, I, I was, I thought quicksand should be on there too. So did you Eric? Yeah. And then, Eric, I, I took your suggestion of I Can't Give It All Away being at the end. Right. But I think the last song after that would be Life on Mars. Ah, interesting. And I thought the last song I thought the last song could be Ash to Ashes just because I kind of liked all the reviews saying this is Bowie's final song. Like, no yeah, matter what it, comes uh, out after that. But that's why I thought that should be a closer. But, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So there you go. I just like the idea of uh, Life on Mars, the grand epicness it ends on. And then that, uh, you know, the, the, the dun, 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 dun piano bit. I think it'd be good. if uh, That's it. Curtains down. Uh, oh. But I, I think it's cool that you, you, we would not have had quick. If somebody told us to do this before we did this podcast, we wouldn't have had quicksand on there. No. So that, that's fun. Yeah. It, it's funny. Uh, my son has shown me a YouTube video where somebody made, which was like, like a slideshow of David Bowie's life. And then like at 2016, you know, releases Black Star and and then it's like it's like an alternate history. Like, what if he survived? And it goes on into him into like you know the next the next twenty years. Um, it's 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 kind of adorable that my that my son I caught my son watching that. But anyways, <laughs> it's sweet. He was uh, the one that made the Watchmen soundtrack. <laughs> that's right. Uh, okay, so um, other movies in the theaters. Uh, Bowie was in. A few a few movies this year. He had three movies to be exact. One was a garbage comedy called Yellowbeard. 
In all the Spanish main, only one name makes cutthroats hoist their sails, hide their loot, and hold their noses. Yellowbeard. A bucket of rum and be quick about it. Starring uh, most of Monty, Pi- Monty Python um, and Cheech and Chong about a pirate. Um, you know, it's got some great comedic act. It's got Madeline Kahn. It's got some great actors. Any- Has anybody ever seen this movie? No, 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 no. I just Sorry. remember. I remember the um, the 80s all over. May they rest in peace. That podcast. Just the review of this movie made it sound like the most god awful thing on the planet. And I'm a kind of a comedy nerd. I will watch the bad comedies just for their place in history. But this one is just sounds just unwatchable. Um, oh boy. I did send you guys a clip that David, David Bowie is just a cameo. Um, apparently there's like a scene where a shark chases somebody and then you see Bowie wearing the shark fin on his back. Like he's like, he tricked him. Ha ha. He got him. He pulled a, he pulled a, he pulled a, he pulled a little uh, goof on him and pretended to be a shark. Does he have a beard? Does he have a beard in this? No, no, uh, no. no. Clean, clean shaven, clean shaven. So he, yeah. he's not yellow beard. No, he's not. He is not yellow beard. <laughs> uh, uh, listeners, if you're a big fan of yellow beard, let us know. Uh, let us know if it's worth our time. Um, he made a little, uh, I think it's a World War One film called Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Uh, you guys seen that one? No, but I, this one has a bit more uh, respect, right? Uh, it's not this, one, no, this one's well regarded. I think it's on the Criterion channel right now. Um kind of think we should save it for next christmas but yeah yeah it's a uh, it's a uh i have not seen it yet uh, there, there we are doing our doing our comprehensive look at david bowie listen folks there's only so much goddamn time in the day all right this year this the 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 the, 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 the that's fine the let's dance era has too much to dig through so either you know we already talked about cat people quite a bit and this Moon Age Daydream spectacular live album. Uh, I'm sorry, but Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence and Yellowbeard could not make the cut. But the hunger. Sarah Roberts is in jeopardy. Hey, lady. How about it? Stay with her. Help her. For she has begun to feel the awful horror of the hunger. John Blaylock. The hunger has given him everlasting life. Until now, pray for him. is a pretty interesting movie directed by friend of the show. May you rest in peace. Tony Scott. Um, That's Tony Scott, who last film was the film unstoppable about a runaway train, which is my son's favorite movie. And I've had to watch it 20 times this year. (laughs) Uh, Oh yeah. Let's talk about Tony Scott a little bit, right? So he, so he, so he kind of came up in his, you know, in his brother's shadow to a certain degree, but um, made a complete. He he was definitely more of a kind of bite-sized, um, uh, bite-sized uh, entertainment for entertainment's sake director, but not initially. With the hunger being 
one of his first films. It's a very artsy movie. But then he went from that to like Top Gun and uh, Days of Thunder. Um, and then he did uh, actually one of my personal favorites. Uh, he did Beverly Hills Cop 2, um, mm. which is a funny movie, but it has a really dark side to it. When uh, Judge Reinhold's character, you find out is a complete gun nut and an actual psychopath in that movie. Um, <laughs> pretty fun. And in real life. I don't know if you guys know that about him. Oh, no, really? No. <laughs> I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Like there's a scene where they have to do something and judge Reinhold shows up in a trench coat and has a a trunk full of like automatic weapons. And you're like, Oh shit. So you've been actually insane. This Awesome. If you look, uh, if you look at Tony Scott's career, um, I think he was always kind of, was he, he was his little brother, right? Uh, Ridley Scott's little brother. I think so. Yeah, and, and he was kind of like more like the punk rock version of a Ridley Scott. But he had a great eye. He had a great, he had a great eye to, uh, to to frame scenes that are memorable, but also was great at filming action. I think um, up until a point, uh, he really did kind of go insane with filters and editing uh, in the, around two thousand. Domino. Uh, a Domino film I, the, I watched uh, and convinced myself I liked because uh, Tom Waits is in it. And um, there's some like Nine Inch Nails songs. Yeah, but no, if you his it, overall though he had a great hit rate. I mean, The Hunger, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop Two, Days of Thunder, Revenge. I don't think I've seen Revenge. The Last True Boy romance. Scout. True romance. True romance. True romance. But also The Last Boy Scout. That's a great movie. Uh, it's Shane Black joint. Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide is a great film. Uh, the fan. Actually, the fan's pretty good. Don't you agree, Mark? Absolutely. It's got uh, Wesley Snipes and uh, uh, re, uh, I think, doing his Willie Mays Hayes character. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, that's him. That's him doing it. And that also yeah, has a nice uh, think... songs on the soundtrack, too. It does. Sure does. And I think uh, I think Robert Downey Jr. is the, uh, the fan in that one. Nope. Uh, Robert uh, De Niro. <laughs> Robert. <laughs> I mean, it could have been, that would have been different back then. In the yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm your fan, enemy okay? The, <laughs> enemy of the State's not bad. Uh, spy Game, I never saw. Man on Fire, I think oh. it's, I think that holds up. I think it's a great Glorious, movie. glorious, glorious. Yeah. I mean, and that oh, one does Christy have some Bear. of the weird. Crazy Bear. Uh, and that also has a lot of Nine Inch Nails songs in it, too. It does. My it God. does have a lot of weird, a lot of weird editing in it, but, you know. And Domino, you don't need to see Domino. Deja Vu, I never saw Deja Vu. Oh, it's a, time, it's a little time travel. It's basically like, I think Tenet is a remake of Deja Vu that's coming out by Christopher Nolan. And uh, the Taking a Pell Home 123 remake, I saw in the theater once and I forgot about it. But um, his last movie, Unstoppable, it actually, despite my affinity for it because my son loves it, it's a pretty fun, good movie. Uh I think it's, it's it's not a bad movie to have be your last movie. It's a it's a it's a good action romp. You got Chris Pine, Denzel Washington, and the seven 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 train that can't be stopped. Tony right, Scott, awesome, awesome. And now the hunger back to that is a it is very artsy. Um, it has some. It's it, it it turns into a very slow movie. But goddamn, the way that movie starts. Uh, if you're not a fan of just, you know, 80s goth rock, 
the, then uh, I don't know what to tell you, but this should convince you to be because it starts with uh, at a club with the Bauhaus playing Bela Lugosi's Dead. And the way it's cut and the way it looks, it is such a testament to the time. Um, Bowie is a vampire and he's there with his vampire crew at this club. And uh, it is it is just heart pounding. You guys, you guys got to tell me that that is an iconic opening to a movie. Uh, yes, yes. I haven't seen The Hunger in about ten years, but I do remember enjoying the movie, and the opening was great. Yes, despite your the fact that you're not a, a Bauhaus fan, Steve, as you've been on record as saying, I think that even some, that some, that opening some, can convince some, you. Sometimes the sum of something is greater than its parts. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then it's just, it's a story about a vampire and, um, and a, a girl that kind of gets pulled into it. And then, um, uh, don't forget Dan Hidea plays the cop that's investigating him. Uh, and, uh, the Bowie starts dying and it's like this vampire is supposed to be ageless, realizes his own mortality. And, um, it definitely, it's, it's a little like steamy, a little erotic. It's definitely got a mystery element to it. Um, and it, it gets a, a little navel gazy towards the end and a little slow, but it's never not, um, not a pretty movie. Uh, I enjoy it. I think it, I, I think it should be one of his, his top films or considered as much. It, now it also, I've never done this, but I think it makes a good one, two punch if you were to watch it with cat people. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree. I, I, I agree. And listen, if you, if you do that, you're going to be Randy baby. <laughs> those are mark, some sexy films mark what do you think of hunger um i remember liking it but i also remember uh not much from it um yeah i think you said it all i have no recollection of the movie other than the opening Bauhaus number um i remember i liked it but yeah. i just yeah that's it yeah uh, but we but we is a great actor in it though he's not He's not chewing scenery. He's not hamming it up. He's very subtle and nuanced in it. Like, I think he's, I think he's fantastic in it. So, um, anyways. And, um, Susan Sarandon's in it. Yes. Hello nurse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a Susan Sarandon. And then is it, it's a French actress. Who's, who else is in that one? Yeah. Uh, Catherine really... Devonoir. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 And there, there is a, the, the, those two have a, uh, a little, uh, lesbian love scene that's you know it's it's probably on mr skin somewhere but um, <laughs> two yeah. things before we move away from tony scott and like eric said friend of the show we big 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 fans overall i think um one is uh his movies make me realize i am i didn't realize it until a few years ago but i am a big denzel washington fan i will watch if i have to watch a bad movie but denzel washington's in it more often than not, he makes things washable, and I appreciate that from him. What do you guys think of Denzel? I uh, I agree. I I think um, he kind of he kind of commands the screen, even if the rest of the movie doesn't kind of buckles under him. Um, but uh, if he tells you he's serious and he's going to walk into that building and you know save a hostage, I'm going to buckle up for the ride. Yes, Mark. Denzel Washington. You can always count on him for a very consistent performance. I'm trying to rack my brain and uh, watching him on a performance that I didn't enjoy. And it's I'm coming up 
goose eggs. Everything that he's done has, like you said, been very enjoyable. He makes movies that are just destined for Sunday morning hangover watching. <laughs> exactly. That's when I think like uh, when I saw Flight, I was house sitting for my brother and uh, I went out and got drunk the night before. And uh, the next day I watched Flight and it was perfect for that. I, I actually I was that pilot. That's who. Uh, <laughs> you <know>? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what the movie's all about. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, he is electric in glory like that. I think that was one yeah. of his breakthrough roles. And he is just he just he's just stealing. He's like the heart of that movie. It's great. Oh, yeah. No, we can. If we sit here and talk about all those good movies, we'll be here forever. Yeah. But I do want to say, have either of you ever heard of heart condition? Uh, no, I've heard of a heart condition, but no. <laughs> Good one, Mark. You guys, you guys have I never know, heard of heart condition. Okay, are you ready to hear about? I'm going to read the description of this movie. I I recently learned of this movie, and I uh, I watched the trailer. I didn't watch it, but I uh, almost died laughing. I'm going to read the whole thing. Give me a just a paragraph here. <laughs> heart condition, starring <laughs> Denzel Washington. And Bob Hoskins mm. from okay. I've seen this movie. I know exactly what movie this is. Yeah, All right. I've seen 1990. it. 1990. <laughs> Hoskins okay. plays a police sergeant, Jack Mooney, a racist, bigoted cop, and Washington plays Napoleon Stone, an irresistible persuader and ambulance chasing lawyer who Mooney hates. Like the fact that Stone hates Mooney, the feelings are mutual. Stone goes on to date Mooney's ex girlfriend which stirs up the pot between the two. Mooney's Mooney's years of bad habits, such as overeating, smoking, and drinking, finally catch up with him, risking his health and life. At the same time, Stone is gunned down in a drive-by shooting. After suffering a heart attack, Mooney wakes up to find out that his new heart was once Stone's, and the dead lawyer's ghost has become his consistent companion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I remember oh, watching boy. this one. Oh boy! So, so this Bob Hoskins fantastic. almost Bob Hoskins almost dies, gets a heart transplant from Denzel Washington, and Denzel Washington lives inside him as a ghost. <laughs> yep. Oh boy, uh, uh, it's amazing. I uh, it's Eddie Eddie Valiant Eddie Valiant uh, in an alternate universe. I'm gonna watch that. It's on my list. It's on my list. It, it has a zero percent <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. Bob Hoskins with Denzel Washington's ghost in him helps solve Denzel Washington's murder. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, there you oh. go. <laughs> this cover is, is just, is just heartwarming. Oh my God. Yep. A tough <laughs> the co- other, a dead lawyer. I probably watched this movie <laughs> because it saw, it had Bob Hoskins in it. And I was uh, fresh off of who framed Roger rabbit. Sure. From 1989. And I swear to God, I've asked my parents when I was a kid, they used to give me uh, the ability to just go to Blockbuster or some video store to rent a movie and a video game. I swear to God, I rented this one because I have Bob Hoskins in it. I was like, who's the other guy? <laughs> uh, my only yeah. other comment about Tony Scott is just how great true romance is. And that's no surprise there. Uh, internally quotable film. But also, I do want to bring up the anecdote where we were at a, our buddy's house in Colfax, California, and we turned a drinking game out of a handle of Clan McGregor to taking a shot every time a known actor shows up in True Romance. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly, 
uh, we all probably blacked out by the time Balky shows up with a face full of cocaine. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think I stumbled out in the, cause he lives in the foothills or like the, the hills out there. I think I stumbled around and throw up, threw up on a rock. Yeah. It was, <laughs> that was, that was a night. My God. I barely made it to Tom Sizemore. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, James, it, it's like, it, you, you remember all the, you know, oh yeah. Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. But then, also, you're like, oh, yeah, and James Gandolfini and Brad Pitt. Like, everybody's in that damn film. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, oh, yeah. enough Tony Scott talk. Yeah, although Gary Oldman is doing a great Al Jorgensen in that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's his name? Uh, God, what's his name? Uh, it's 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 Drexel. 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 That's right. Drexel. I knew it was right and, on the end of my. Yeah, yeah. so good. And, and uh, yeah, he didn't know that it was White Boy Day. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Why are you looking at me when those titties are bouncing right over there? Oh, yeah. A diddly I O to a damned if I know. <laughs> oh, oh man. Boy. You know what mo- that what other line sticks with me is Sam Jackson shows up and talks about eating ass. He says, "I'll eat pussy, I'll eat ass, I'll eat the whole damn thing." Like, yeah, that's yeah. for whatever reason. That's in Sam Jackson's highlight reel for me. Like when he oh, dies, yeah. that's running in my head. He's only in it. He's in it for like less than two minutes. It's, uh, that's it. Oh, that's yeah. the only thing that he's yeah. My name is Business Bot and I like to hang. Usual I am here asking for your change. Pod like a hole using me to bed right here. Patreon cash to buy them new gear. White Boy Day. It says, I'll eat pussy, I'll eat ass, I'll eat the whole damn thing. But not today, no, no way. I am here to remind you to wash your hands. You've got germs on your breath and in your glands. Wash your hands, wash them often. Don't feel bad if you need to hide. You are saving lives by staying inside. Thank you for listening to our PSA. But if you want to still give them your cash, please do. I won't stop you. Ah, all right. So let's dance dropped. We already talked about it. Um, and there is some back matter to that album. Um, there was a demo version of let's dance that we talked about. Um, and I think I played a clip on the last episode, but, uh, when they released that, uh, they very recently after he di- after Bowie died, um, now Rogers released that demo version and it's fun. 
It's very funky, guitar crazy. We, we talked about it. But he also released a string version. We'll hide. typical song but it's got these disco strings that are kind of going nuts over the back of it um <laughs> it's kind of fun uh it's uh, it's a little bit swooping um and uh not doesn't touch the original version but it's it's, it's kind of fun to to hear uh niall going uh, going nuts on it so there you go um there are uh there's an extended version of shake it was already like a chic song that Bowie just kind of walked into. And this one goes on for another probably goes 10 minutes, 11 minutes. Um, I mean, if you like that kind of funky, like Zapp and Roger, uh, which I do enjoy, you know, like that funk that just go, kind of goes on and on uh, with some synth, synth, synth flanges going, going in the background. Uh, there is a extended version of shake it out there for you to enjoy. Uh, there are some more recent remixes of songs off this album that were released, uh, with the demo, something called Tri-Factor and versus Deep Substance remix. Let's dance. Yes, and that that's a uh, that's a that's a a kind of house little housey version of uh, Let's Dance. Um, every now and then there'll be a recognizable part in his lyrics, of course, um, and then someone named Riff and Vox Mix released a China Girl remix, which is a very like early aughts clubby sound, kind of like we were talking about um, the Heathen remixes, where it sounded like you just hear it in like a hotel bar. Uh, it definitely sounds like one of those. Um, but they still did not shed the, the damn Chinese guitar picks. <laughs> still included that in that one, even though it was made many, many years later. Um, so those are the remixes off of Let's Dance. And that's about it. But they did release one more concert album. After Let's Dance dropped, Bowie wanted to go on a huge tour, a worldwide tour. And he was going to call it the Serious Moonlight Tour, obviously after the, uh, the uh, well, some would say it was from the lyrics from Let's Dance. Some would say it was a new McDonald's character. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was Matt, was Mac tonight out yet? Was he uh, in the public consciousness? Mark, what, what year did Mac tonight show up on our doorsteps? Yeah, you're asking me because, you know, like I'm the master trivia person when it comes to Mac tonight. It's got to be around that time frame, uh, probably in, it started 19... in 1986. Yes. Yeah. Ah, the introduction okay. of Mac tonight. Um, so so yeah, me, they owe David Bowie money. That's right. So. Three years. 
There is because... a. I, <laughs> I showed you the picture from the DVD. It's it's a moon with a face like it's 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 a moon with a face on it. I mean, come on. Yeah, he gets some royalties for that. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Mac tonight or any of the uh, McDonald's mascots, I heavily endorse. Uh, I remember being able to play on their faces in uh, the playgrounds out in the front of said restaurant. Now it's like childhood's gone where you just get this generic ball pit. What world right. are we grow- having our kids grow up? You know, in? if you want to, he- if you want to throw the kids in the car, Mark, and drive off to Wisconsin, Greensfield, Wisconsin, there is an animatronic Mac tonight that plays in the solid gold McDonald's. It's what it's called. Solid gold McDonald's. And he plays in there while you eat. Oh man. <laughs> How much are tickets? I'm looking for just one way tickets at this point. <laughs> Um, so the serious moonlight, Eric, you watched it, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole DVD and it's his, it's his live band from this era. And we talked about last time that he wanted Stevie Ray Vaughan to come on. They did some, they did some, uh, rehearsals and he was just not in a good place. Um, he had his, his drug problems and his entourage were hard partiers and Bowie was really trying to clean up. So it was just like, Bowie's like went to his people and said, yeah, we can't do this. We can't, we can't go on tour like this. So Stevie Ray Vaughan was out and Carlos Alomar came back after a little break from the band. Um, after being kind of disenfranchised with Lodger, his experience with Lodger and, um, but yeah, he came back and, uh, yeah, it was, he was offered a part on to play on let's dance and was not interested, but he was very happy to join this tour, I guess. Um, and he shreds all over this thing. If you ever want a, a testament to Carlos Alomar, um, watch this thing because he gets a lot of just like sliding across the stage doing solos, um, that are fantastic. The rest of the, the, the group was, uh, yeah, our, our buddy Earl Slick was out there and uh, on guitar and his scarves. And uh, Carmine Rojas on bass. Tony Thompson on drums. Dave Liebolt on keyboards. Steve Elson on sax. Stan Harrison on sax and woodwinds. Lenny Pickett, our friend Lenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. There he on is. On saxophone and woodwinds. And George Sims and Frank Sims on backing vocals. And it surprises me. Are there no female backing vocals on this thing? No, not at all. The two, the two guys that are doing the backing vocals, they have pinstripe, uh, like linen or seersucker suits on, uh, and like hats. And they're like dancing and flipping chairs as they sing. It's very eighties. Um, the, the band themselves are very diverse. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of people of color playing in it and they're, they kind of come out. Some of them are in daishiki. Some of them are in um, 
they'll have like a sailor's cap and a sailor's coat on, but then like with a, uh, some, some kind of big cultural, like medallion hanging down. And then, um, you know, the, like, like definitely like African pants wear, um, Bowie himself is in a, a light, light suit. It's definitely that CEO Bowie. He comes out in his suit. He takes off his jacket about halfway through and he's got a suspenders holding up these big giant zoot suit pants and, uh, and a loose fitting shirt and a tie. He's got his big blonde pompadour and he's into it. I mean, he, he doesn't stop the whole time. So here's the thing about this album is the band is great and they are playing things very much in the sound of let's dance but he picks songs throughout his whole career to be on here. So it's just kind of a matter of does that sound match? Like, would it be cool to hear that sound played by a let's dance type band? That's that's. Can I answer. Can, yeah. Can, can I answer the question? Yes. Yes. I think it works. I actually think this is a very enjoyable live album and listening to it back to back with uh, Ziggy Stardust today's live album. If you took just those two live albums and you had to be stuck on a desert island, you might have, you know, that might be a good way to have all your Bowie need it too. I don't know. I think uh, I think the, the, the interpretations on this record are pretty fun. Nice. Yeah, I I would agree for the most part. There's some songs I'll start I'll I'll end positive. There's a, just a couple songs that I feel like the band doesn't do a lot of justice to it. Like Heroes, I feel like it doesn't have that wall of sound drive mm -hmm. to it. Um, and uh, I would say. I've heard better versions of Station to Station, um, yeah, and Rebel Rebel, but uh, but um, you know, I, on a whole, like there are some really standout moments on here. Like Look Back in Anger sounds fantastic. Like this band nails that song. Yeah, uh, the tempo is a little bit too fast for me, but yes, right. But uh, yeah, I think Look Back in Anger is good. I think Golden uh, Years. Golden. This is the perfect band to play Golden Years. That's already like is. a half disco song. So. And they totally change what in the world, but it still works. True. Um, yeah. True. I think I think Breaking Glass is good. Yeah. Um, it's a good version of Let's Dance, obviously. Yeah. Scary Monsters, I heard much better with his um, outside era band, um, but it's kind of cool they played it here. White Light, White I Heat, think... it's weird, but um, but we, it sounds almost more like Little Richard doing White Light, White Heat until until like Carlos comes out. Um, and just rocks a wicked solo in that song. But uh, I do think that the, uh, I think the version of Life on Mars is fantastic. Oh yeah, they have a um, big balloon of earth that bounces across the stage as he sits in a little birdcage and it's supposed to look like maybe a little shuttle or rocket ship as he sings the song, it's great. And the, the, the backup vocalists on that, they, they sounded, they do such a good good job. They sounded uh, uh, like a couple of women to me listening to it. So right. good job yeah. to them. And uh, uh, I think in inclusion, the inclusion of that uh, cover song, Sorrow, is a lot of fun. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and then Ashes to Ashes is really good. And the way it's filmed for this, they actually like negative out, like they do the negative film uh, quality to ever, like the audience and everything except for Bowie. And so it kind of looks like the music video. And um, 
and just the band and him. He just does a great job on that song on this uh, on this album. I think another song that really fits this group is uh, the version of Young Americans. Oh yeah, yeah, that's perfect. And that's that that's the uh, that's not, that's the that's the penultimate song. It closes with Fame. Um, also a good choice. So it does not close with Fame. It closes with Modern Love. Oh shit! My DVD closes with Fame. Modern Love's There's not even second. on here. My God. There's a second in that now. There's a second uh, encore of Modern Love. And for this tour, doesn't that make sense? That's a it's perfect. That's, that's where that's they got their crack. video from. So, yeah, there's a crowd pleasing track for it to end on. So there you go. Nice. Now, I think I think it just has enough. I mean, the Berlin trilogy is definitely not Let's Dance, but they still do a good job of trying to make that work instead of just going back to all the hits that came before the Berlin trilogy, which I think is cool. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I was I was happy to see the songs they included on here. Um, you know, what's really great uh, is uh, if you can track down this DVD, there was a documentary of this tour called Ricochet, which followed Bowie to Asia on the Asia, the, the eastern leg of the tour. He goes to Hong Kong, Singapore and Bangkok. And in each town, they do a different kind of approach to it. In Hong Kong, you follow this band around. It's this band of of um you know three guys from hong kong that are that play bowie covers and they're trying to make money to go to the bowie show like they're selling records and shit to go to this bowie show because and there's a great scene where bowie's talking to his tour manager and they're like dude the the bowie's like i heard that the wage the, the average wage of this town nobody can afford our show what did why did we price it so high and the tour manager's like well it's too late to do anything about it now and like they're trying to like problem solve how are they going to get people to come to their show i guess we can make the make the nosebleeds dirt cheap to get you know or whatever um and then as it goes on bowie get kind of like tries to immerse himself in the culture a little bit more when he's in singapore he has he hires a guy to drive him around he's like i'm i don't want to see any more of these sky rises take me out to the old buildings and the guy's driving him around um kind of talking about how like oppressive the government is there um he goes to like some some like native opera and Anyways, it's just, it's a very cool, like insight into where Bowie was as Bowie, the world traveler during that time. Um, not a ton of backstage stuff. It's mostly him just trying to like make his way around these cities that he's about to perform in, um, wearing his, what I call his adventure, his adventure gear, his, his linen suits and his, his white hats, um, his Indiana Jones look <laughs> as much as that's a thing. Um, so I, that documentary it's funny, it's funny, was it's, great. It's funny you say that. It's funny you say that because the guy he dresses up uh, on on stage as reminds me of a, uh, is it Belloc? Oh yeah, from, that, uh, you know, that's that actually way more Belloc than Indiana Jones. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if you can find the Ricochet jo- documentary, you're gonna see a side of Bowie that that I guess you don't get to see a lot. Um, and it's a great little, it's a great little travelogue. I I I loved it. I thought it was awesome. So that was a that, this DVD is worth the. Uh, price of admission easily so there you go that's a ton of accoutrement to come with let's dance yeah I, uh mark did you look at any of that uh, uh serious moonlight stuff no sir i uh didn't have time before uh publish uh the publishing of this episode so yeah sorry no dice but you guys thoroughly covered it so i think we're good <laughs> i think mark, mark and i or eric and i actually do suggest Tomorrow when you're uh, doing the dishes or something, 
listen to that live album. I think it's worth a listen. I think it's good. You bet. Yeah, yeah it's fun. It's a fun time. All right. And when guys. you're done listening, when you're done listening to that, put on the man who sold the world, which is the next album we will be covering in depth on the next yeah. episode. Or if you want to put a little pepper up your ass, put on, uh, put on uh, commitment to complications by Youth Code because Steve and I will be seeing them in concert tomorrow night. Have fun, guys. Have fun. All right. We will. Well, we did it. It should be mentioned that Steve and Eric did go and see that concert one week before self-isolations and quarantines came into effect. But we aren't that selfish. 